podcast with your host, Jake Weaver, engineered by Cedric Swan. Hey, everybody. We're back with another episode of Midnight on Earth. I'm your host, Jake Weaver, and we're here to bring you more knowledge, more light, and more love. An incredible guest today. We're going to be talking about star seeds and star seed consciousness and being aware of your star seed self with Sirsha Claire, an amazing woman. She's here with us. We're going to talk to her, but first, I need you to do something for me. Follow me on Instagram at midnight underscore on underscore earth. That is the address. Go there. Please follow me. So many people have, and there's still more people that can't. So do that for me. Spotify, follow me there. Apple podcasts, Google podcasts, wherever you go to get your podcasts, click the button that connects us. So you get those notifications, you know, when the new episode drops or whatever cool things we're cooking up. And of course, the most important thing is please, please, please tell a friend, tell a person you know that wants to know about star seeds, that wants to know about all the topics that we talk about on this show. They're so cool. Tell a friend, you know, you want the people in your life to have this information. Tell them midnightonearth.com. All right. So now that that's out of the way, we're going to talk to Sirsha Claire. An amazing woman, the starseed goddess. I'm going to read her bio. Author, healer, and founder of the Starketype system, Searsha Claire McGovern serves as an energetic mentor for starseeds who are in the midst of their awakening process so they can live the life of abundance they are destined for. Before receiving the download for the Starketype system, Searsha Claire served her clients by utilizing her credentials as a personal trainer, nutritionist, and Usui Reiki practitioner to take a whole being approach to wellness and healing. As a clarion starchetype, she now teaches this powerful paradigm to star seeds who are ready to receive and has dedicated her coaching practice to doing the sacred work of helping others embrace their unique cosmic blueprints. Ooh, what a cool word. Searsha Claire holds a bachelor's degree in rhetoric from Kansas State University and a master's of arts in communication science from the University of Alabama. She draws upon this foundation of scholarship to ensure each of her clients are heard, understood, and affirmed. When she isn't busy writing, coaching, or teaching, her favorite hobby is exploring new places, and she feels very lucky to have lived abroad and visited over 25 countries so far. Well, we have listeners in 35 countries. She's probably been to a lot of those places. She can also be found reading, lifting weights, taking in a baseball game, or playing video games in her spare time. Searsha Claire lives in Arizona with her husband, Philip, and they're two adorable tailless tabby cats pokey and babu did i say that right babu you did yes hey so <laughs> thank you so much for joining us on this podcast i'm so glad you're here we have to help people evolve that's what we're here to do we're mm. here to give people positive information the information that's mm -hmm. going to help them grow it's going to help them activate 
Absolutely. think that that's what you're here to do. Would you agree with that statement? Oh yeah. Without a doubt. That's, that's my life purpose. That's my mission. That's what keeps me going when I feel a little too overwhelmed by density sometimes, which I know is something that a lot of star seeds struggle with, but really just letting everyone who is ready to hear the message that's come through this paradigm is that's my life's work. So I feel really, I feel really lucky to be able to do what I do. Well, before we get into your life, I have to ask you just right off the bat for people that have never heard of star seeds before, what is a star seed? Yes, that's such a great question. And Google will take you down an inevitable rabbit hole. <laughs> I want to hear it from <laughs> you. I feel this. like you know yes. the best. So there's so many misconceptions around it. The, I, I think the first one is that we're aliens. So I will have a lot of people reach out and say, you know, are you an alien? Do you, did you come here through abducting someone else? Like just these really uh, kind of juicy misconceptions around what, what fragments of consciousness we're carrying with us. Right. And so if you are a star seed, you are someone who has incarnated and had multiple lifetimes elsewhere in the cosmos. So not necessarily just through earth and through the earth realm. So when you have this awakening inside you and this longing for a home that you know is not physically here, that inevitably evolves into a searching, okay, what really is home? Where did I come from? And I think that's where we kind of cross paths with this alien idea or the alien identity that we are somehow other from being human. But the reality of the situation is that we have chosen to incarnate in the human vessel for a very specific purpose. So there are some star seeds who have spent multiple lifetimes on earth as a human. There are some star seeds who are here. This is their first go around. This is their very first time. And they have lived their other iterations and other incarnations in other points of the galaxy. And they carry that cosmic wisdom within to help humanity collectively ascend their vibration so, out of so 3D there is density. A, from 3D density. So there is uh, an alien component because at yes. some point these consciousnesses, these souls, were having a life on what we would consider an alien planet. They would be mm -hmm. elsewhere living their lives and then passing away and then re-manifesting on Earth. So in a way, mm -hmm. they are alien, but really it's just saying that some of their lives previously, we're on these alien planets. Is that correct? Yes, correct. But you, like you said, they could have had 2,500 2, lives on Earth, but they still have that starseed frequency. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And their, their origins could be from elsewhere. And I think that's one... That's one of the things that people tend to get a little preoccupied with when they're in the very beginning stages of nurturing this type of awakening is trying to figure out, okay, I know that this is not my original home. This is not my point of origin. So where is it? So trying to figure out what planet did I come from or what <laughs> 
starseed lineage do I hold? Like what starseed race am I a part of? Am I Arcturian? Am I Lyran? Am I Pleiadian? Where did I evolve from? So really the message that I have received loud and clear, and it's what is the common thread that came through this archetype system is that that question has actually been placed by design and it's meant to distract us from our current mission. Because if you think about it, if you spend all of your time, your precious time here on earth, trying to figure out, well, where did I come from? You're not living in the present moment. You're living in the past. You're living in some other lifetime, right? And so while it might be a nice, warm, fuzzy feeling to know that I'm a Lyran and you're a Lyran too, it actually doesn't hold as much weight as we've previously thought. So essentially what it does is what you're saying is it takes away from the focus of the now. It's interesting to know that you have this star seed history and you're a part of that mm-hmm. lineage. But if you start fixating on it, and using too much of your energy trying to define yourself, it takes you away from the work, the mission, from what you're actually here doing. Is, mm-hmm. that, is that right? Yeah. So when in, your, when in your life was the first time that you were exposed to the starseed concept? Like when did it come into your consciousness? Ooh. So the first time I was exposed actually didn't come until, I think I was in my mid-20s. I can't remember exactly how old I was. I... I had always known that there was something else within that was very, very different from the other kids around me or the people in my community growing up. And I'm not trying to say that in a way of like, oh, I was different. It's It was just a knowing that I had inside growing up in the Midwest and going to a private Catholic school and really having just kind of this you know, picture perfect, sheltered life as a young adult. You were vibrating differently. It sounds like everybody was vibrating one way. You were vibrating a little bit differently or a lot differently. And you noticed it. You couldn't really define it per se, but you noticed it. I I, I know that feeling. Yes. Anybody that's out there that's a cosmic human being that identifies as a cosmic human knows that feeling. Yeah. And it's really hard to just sit with that and live with it before you really know what it means. Oh yeah. And when you don't know what it means, there's no self-acceptance that comes along with it. So I was really on this journey from a very, very young age to just figure myself out. Why can't I fit in with other people? Why do I feel so different? Why do I express myself in a different way? Why am I more drawn to certain things versus what my peers like to do? And um, I didn't even hear the term starseed until I, I went to visit a healer friend of mine when I was living in Portland. And um, it's funny because I was talking to somebody else about this story the other day, but the first time that I walked into his new space, he had a receptionist there who looked at me and he said, how do you feel about the color orange? And I was like, "Um, I don't particularly like it. (laughs) (laughs) Like it's, I don't ever wear it. It's not my favorite. And he's like, well, that's too bad because your aura is bright orange. And I thought, oh, okay, well, that's interesting. And I said, how do you, how do you know that? And he said, well, it's just something that I can see. And he said, did you know that you're a star seed? And when he said that, I didn't even, I'd never heard the word before, but it felt like I was coming home. Like I had this really powerful 
full body activation where I thought, oh, this is what I've been looking for this whole time. Well, if you think and about so, it energetically, the word starseed has a frequency and that yes. frequency came into you. You felt it. You picked it up and you were like, holy cow, you activated it. But go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, you're totally right that 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 was a very powerful point of activation for me. And I ended up, of course, being late to my appointment, <laughs> talking with the receptionist about I, I wanted to at that point, I wanted to know everything. It's like the floodgates had been opened. And that's when, of course, like everyone else, I fell down that Google rabbit hole and I paid for Oracle readings and I did all of the things that you think that you're supposed to do when you're going through that type of activation or you're going through that point on your awakening journey. So you just tried to and find everything that you could related to star seeds and everything that even was like a tangent thing you were into. Also. Oh yeah. Do you feel like yes. some of it was authentic and some of it was over the top inauthentic? Definitely. I, I feel like I have met a few people in my lifetime that have this form of mastery over their connection to source consciousness. And they have a very, very clear and pure channel. And the information that I've received from those beings has always been authentic. And then on the flip side, there are people who I have, you know, met and worked with in some capacity where there's some form of regurgitation that's happening there. And I have, I have some tangential thoughts about why that is that I didn't really notice until further down the line, but I definitely feel like there's always a sect of the new earth community or the awakening community or the spiritual community that is run by some sort of dark energy or dark forces because they know that there's always going to be people who are in that seeking loop that they can take advantage of in some way. And so for me, I feel fairly, I guess, lucky in that I'm attuned in a way where I know pretty quickly when that's happening or when that's happening to me. And so those experiences were just one-offs where I could just walk away and say, okay, well, this doesn't really hold anything for me. And, but, you know, somebody maybe made 50 bucks and, <laughs> but you know, you did some seeking, you figured it out. And is that when tragedy struck in your life as you were growing? Cause it sounds, cause I read your bio and it said that you had issues at ages of 26 and 27. And you're saying you yeah. first discovered this at 25. So it wasn't long after you started awakening that tragedy struck in your life. Tell us a little bit about what happened. You don't have to go too much into detail, but it was part of your activation experience. So please tell us a little bit about the tragedy that unfortunately helped activate you. Sure. Yeah. So I was definitely, I would say in the beginning stages of really nurturing my awakening, I, like I said, I had been on this path my whole life, but I hadn't, there was an inner knowing there that I hadn't ever really tried to lean on or turn to. And I was just picking all of the boxes in a 3d sense. Um, I went to grad school. I 
feel very, very blessed to have met my twin flame at the age of, I believe I was 21 when I met Uh him, 21 or 22. And that was another really, really powerful activation was meeting him, having this immediate twin flame recognition and getting to be his wife, like actually getting to be his partner on the physical plane was amazing for me. And in the same vein, both of us at the time were very 3D motivated and oriented because we were in our early 20s, right? So um, I'd gone to school and um, I was in the middle of finishing up my master's degree and my husband Christian and I got a call from my mom and she said, your dad has a brain tumor and he's going into surgery this afternoon. And mind you, this is when I'm 1500 miles away from home. And I knew in that moment, and I think Christian knew it too, that our lives were about to really change. And just to give you some context, I'm an only child and I was definitely a daddy's girl. So hearing that news, it's like my world just kind of came down on me like a ton of bricks. And so I ended up finishing school early. Um, I accelerated my degree plan and I, I think I finished out over that summer and fall. And I got to spend the last four months of my dad's life with him because we, we moved back to Kansas city to be with him and my mom. And that was a really cathartic experience for me because there was a lot of forgiveness that happened between the two of us in those few short months. It was almost like our whole lifetime together, all of the things that we never said to each other or the things that we didn't really know how to express came out at that point because we knew that it was terminal. And on the one hand, losing a parent like that is awful. I don't wish that on anyone, but on the flip side of it, the beauty in the situation was so profound to me. Like the relationship that he and I cultivated at his end of life. And when he passed away, he actually started speaking to me, which was a really huge surprise (laughs) to me because he had grown up Catholic. He was an altar boy. And, you know, when they still said mass in Latin, he was very, very Catholic person did not believe that we could make contact with others through the veil and was fairly, um, I wouldn't say strict, but adamant about that conditioning and that belief growing up. And so when he first started talking to me after he passed away, it was actually two days after he died. Um, I was like, holy shit. Um, hi dad, what are you doing here? (laughs) So did you feel a presence, an audible voice? So you're saying he contacted with you, contacted you from the other side after passing on, wasn't an audible voice. It was. So the first thing that happened was we were at the funeral home because we were preparing for his wake. And it was the first time that they had him in an open casket. And the funeral director met with my mom and Christian and I and came in and said, you know, each of you can have your time with him alone or you can go in together. It's it's really up to you, whatever you'd like to do. And so my mom decided that we were going to go in one by one and have a few minutes with him before they closed the casket. And so um, my mom went in first and a few minutes later she came out and then I went in 
and they had some music playing over the speakers. And my dad really, really loved Chopin. He was a distance runner and he'd actually run to <laughs> Chopin. To Chopin, <laughs> like, okay. Says a lot about him. Um, but there was this um, sonata in particular that I would play for him when he was in hospice, like over and over again, because I knew that it was his favorite. And so I walked into the room and I went up to the casket and I put my hand on his and I just said hello to him. And that song started playing over the speaker. And I had a moment where I was like, okay, maybe my mom's just talking to the funeral director about which songs we want to be played at at the wake. I had that kind of moment of doubt. And then like 30 seconds later, he said, hi, honey, I just want you to know that I'm so proud of you. Oh, my God. And I knew that it was his voice. It was real. And I was like, dad, are you playing a joke on me right now? Like, why why are you doing this to me? And he said, I want you to know that I'm not going to leave you. And you are going to go through some really difficult things in your life, but you're never going to be alone. And then Uh, as soon as he said that, it was almost like he was gone, you know? uh And I had to step back and just collect myself and ask, okay, was this, was this really real? Right. And then I go back out into uh, the other room where my mom and Christian were. And I said, mom, did you, were you the one that put that song on the speaker? And she said, what song? And I said, the Chopin. And Christian was like, oh, yeah, that was playing a couple minutes ago. And I said, did you guys talk to the funeral director about this or anything? And they said, no. And so then I asked the funeral director and she said, oh, yeah, we just have some classical that plays throughout the day, like just some soft music. Whoa. And I was like, okay, so that really wow. did happen. So right? it's like that Which, randomness when when there's yeah. that, uh, that random potential in the universe for things to Mm -hmm. fall into place and they come Mm -hmm. in in that synchronistic way, you know, it's Mm -hmm. coming from the other side, but it's sad that he left this dimension and he left his body, but isn't it comforting to know that he's just fine on the other side waiting for you to get there? Oh, absolutely. Yes. Yes. I think about that a lot that, you know, in a sense, I, this is going to sound like it's coming from a fairly selfish place, but I think that all of us have these kinds of thoughts when we think about our own mortality. What is the end going to be like, right? What is, what's that going to feel like? Is today the day we have these, you know, thoughts that could cause a lot of anxiety. And when I think about it, I think, wow, I have my dad and I have my twin flame waiting for me, like just waiting to take me across the bridge And anytime I think about that, I know that there's nothing for me to be afraid of. Oh, no, not at all. I mean, and think of our loved ones, not only our loved ones, but angels. I mean, God, like, Mm -hmm. you know, extra dimensionals. Who knows what other things are over there? It's when you put things in perspective like that, it helps you realize just how fleeting and short our time is on this planet and Mm -hmm. why we have to make the most of it because it's going to be over soon and you're going to see all the people that you had connections with and it's going to be great Mm -hmm. you got to make the most of it now but you did mention that your husband at the time did also pass away your twin flame that happened not long after your father right 
Yes. Yeah, it, it did. Um, so of course, at the time when my dad said, you're going to go through some really hard things, I, I didn't know exactly what that meant. But after, after my dad passed away, Christian and I were really at this point where we had that realization, like you said, that life is really short. So what do we do now? How do we make the most of it? And he had always had a dream to make flying his career. And in particular, he wanted to be a helicopter pilot. He started flying when he was, I think he was 14, 13 or 14. He started flying fixed wing so he could fly an airplane and had some fixed wing training and decided that he wanted to go for his rotary certification. And so we packed up everything and we moved back to Oregon because there was, you know, a lot of options for him in terms of what to do after he was done with training out there. And that's where he and I had met. So it kind of felt, it felt like we were going in the right direction, returning back to Portland. Well, that's so, where I am right now. I don't know if you realize that or oh, not. Oh, you are. No I'm way. in Portland, okay. Oregon right now. <laughs> where in Portland are you? Uh, my studio slash office is in Multnomah Village area, if you know oh, yeah. where Multnomah Village is. So that's where I am right now. Cool. I do. Yeah. Um, so we, so when I lived in Portland, I think I've lived in every you know, like Northeast, Northwest, yeah, yeah, sure. Southeast. Every section I've of lived town. in all of those sections <laughs> because I was there off and on for, I think it was either six or seven years. I can't remember. Oh, wow. Um, so he and I got back to Portland in 2014 and it felt like it was so different oh, yeah. than when we had left. Radically. Like, yeah. So many people had moved there. The rent was sky high it was just a new time. And so we actually moved to North Portland. We lived on interstate and uh, like right by the, the max up there. And um, yes, in the new seasons. He, yes, we were super close to that new season <laughs> up there. Yeah. So we had a little studio up there and he um, started going to flight school in Newburgh. And I um, started working as a commercial real estate broker because that's what I had done after I graduated with my master's for a brief time in Kansas city, while we were there with my dad, I kind of got my career started. And then I transferred that up to Portland. And, um, we were just in this place where everything that we'd gone through with my dad was even, it just strengthened the bond that we had even more of being completely sure that we had been together through lifetimes and that we were going to build an empire in this one. That was our plan. And he really wanted to start a heliskiing company. So um, his whole grand master plan for when he was done with flight school is that we were going to move to Washington and he was going to fly people to ski on Mount Rainier. And he actually had a friend of his who was a certified flight medic. So he was going to be going into business with him. And then I would do all of the back end stuff and we had everything laid out. Right. And, um, it's just funny how the universe has other plans. And, um, we had been there for almost a year. It was July 1st of 2015. And, um, we had plans that day actually to go out to Manzanita because we, needed some time 
together before the 4th of July holiday, we were going to go up to Washington to be with some of his family. And so we thought that we were going to take a day to go to the beach. And I woke up that morning and, um, I had this like fire lit under me of, Hey, it's the first of the month. You don't have any real estate deals in the pipeline right now. So you need to go to the office. So I told him, you know, I'm, I'm really sorry, but can we do this some other time? He's like, Oh yeah, that's no problem because I might actually get to go fly today. Anyway. I'm like, okay, cool. So I went to work and I had this really ominous feeling all day when I was at the office. And I remember every single time I would look at the clock, it would be a repeating time. So I looked at the clock at 11, 11, and I'd hear this voice that I had never heard before. Like I can tell when my dad is talking with me or my grandpa is talking with me or someone else on my team that has a particular voice, but I heard this new voice and it would say things like, angels are around you. You are being protected. You are loved. And that would happen over and over again, like at 111, 222, 333. And then by 444, I was like, you know what? Like, fuck this day. This is weird. I don't know what's happening. Uh, I need to go home and tell my husband that I'm losing my mind. Right. So I go home and Christian was there when I was home and he, before I could even say anything to him about this voice, he says, babe, I'm so sorry, but I was in a little fender bender earlier today. And I'm like, oh, okay, but you're fine. Like you're fine. Was everybody else fine? He's like, yeah, you know, it just happened. I was driving up MLK and the guy in front of me didn't break. And then I had to break. And then two of us hit each other and blah, blah, blah. And he's like, I'm so sorry because we're going to have to pay this insurance claim. And I was like, I am so happy that nothing happened to you. Like I was relieved because in my mind at that point, I thought, oh, maybe that's what this voice was telling me about that. He was in an accident, but he's okay. So I just remember giving him this huge hug and not wanting to let him go. And he said, you know, I actually talked to um, the guys at the flight school today and I'm going to, I'm going to go down there tonight. I'm going to do a night flight with my instructor. And I was like, oh, okay. Because at that point he, um, I believe he was pretty much finished with his first portion where you can only go up during the daytime. And he was transitioning to, reading instrumentation. So I thought, oh, cool. That worked out really well. So he and I just talked a little bit about what time he was going to be home. And I decided that I just needed to get the day off of me. So I was going to go to the gym while he went to school. So I packed up my stuff. He packed up his stuff. And, um, we were kind of, we were parked like, like, you know, catty corner to each other. And so I remember he gave me a kiss in the middle of the intersection. And then we went to our cars. And so we were facing each other and we just kind of like, we just waved at each other like this. And he pulled out in front of me and I started following him. And so since you're familiar with Portland, we, um, we merged on the I-5 South and he was going to go straight 
on I-5 because he's going down to Newburgh and I was going to take the 405 over to Northwest. And I remember when we were coming to that split, I looked at the back of his car and that voice came into my head again and it said, this is the last time you're ever going to see him. <sighs> and oh. of course, when that happened, I'm like, okay, you need to shut up now. <laughs> yeah. That's not something you actually want to hear. No. Um, and of course, like, I still think that I'm crazy. Right. And so I went to the gym. I just kind of half ass went through the motions, like did a little something to keep my mind occupied. And then I went home and I, you know, reached into my bag of tricks with like, what's the most distracting thing that I could possibly watch, which at the time was the real housewives of Beverly Hills. So I put that TV show on to try and just distract myself. But every now and then that voice would come back in. And I remember at one point I got up and I decided I'm going to go take a shower just to see if I can relax. And I looked in the bathroom mirror and the voice said to me, I lost my dad when I was 27. And the next year I lost my husband. And I was like, at that point, I was ready to tell Christian when he came home that I needed to get checked into a mental facility. Because oh my God. Nobody has those thoughts. Well, was like, it coming from the future? Was it coming from yourself? Where do you think that came from? I still, to this day, think that it was Christian. And I'll get to why I think that that was. Because okay. at the time... Again, I thought that it was like this internal chatter that was nuts, right? Sure. And yeah, so I'll I'll get to why that was. But um, at that point, I just, you know, I just got in bed because I was like, screw this. He yeah. should be done soon. I think, I think that that was probably around 10 o'clock. And so I got into bed and I started playing this game on my phone that I really like called Two Dots because it's, <sighs> just very Zen. And, and I sent him a text and I said, you know, just let me know when you're on the ground. I love you. I'll see you soon. And I'd been sitting there for a little while and I felt this really sharp, like pulling sensation through my chest. Oh. And the next second, before I could even register what was going on, I saw this fire, like this huge billowing fire and then my viewpoint was that I kept going up and up and up and up and up above the fire. And I looked over and I realized that this, this thing that was holding me and pulling me was Christian. And it was almost like, you know, he's Superman and I'm Lois Lane and he's got me in his arms and we're just ascending like further and further up away from this fire. And the structure that we were in, I always like to describe it as like this this bank tube, it was like a cylinder, but if I wanted to put my hand through it, I could. And so we just kept going and going and going and going. And then we finally reached this point where it was just like nothingness and everything at the same time. And it was very dark and our bodies just kind of immolated into these little beads, like these little glowing beads. And I couldn't tell where I ended and where he began. And it was just this really profound feeling of overwhelming love. And I remember looking at him, like looking at the essence 
of him, it's still kind of hard to describe. Sure. And in that moment, I felt like it's hard to put into words, but I felt this is why we're here. Like experiencing this is why we come here and why we have these relationships and experiences. And, um, and I also knew that he was saying goodbye and that me having to go back into my body was going to be the most painful thing that I would ever experience in my life. And so sometimes I try to conceptualize, okay, where were we? And the only thing I can really come up with is it's kind of like a waiting area, you know, like this lobby where he has to tell me, okay, I'm going to go one way and then you're going to go another, but you had but that, it's all going to be okay. You had that last moment of connection of interaction yeah. prior yes. to his spirit, just leaving this dimension. Yes. So then yeah. did you get a phone call at that point or when did you find out that he had passed? Yeah. So right after that had happened, I, I came back into the room that's still kind of fuzzy. Cause I, I remember having this like overwhelming pain and then the ego voice coming in again and saying, okay, if you didn't think before that you need to go to a mental facility, the second he gets home, you have to tell him about all this stuff because you really need help. Right. Right. Um, but I think probably maybe 40 minutes or an hour after that, I got a knock on the door and it was two men from the flight school. And when I saw, and, and these are people I'd never met before. I should probably say that oh, I'd wow. never met them in real life. But when I saw the logo on their shirts, I, it was confirmation <sighs> that everything that I had felt that whole day, that out of body experience that I had with him, which now I know is actually a shared death experience. I didn't know that that was a term that existed at the time. And now I know what it is. And so I do think that it's important to distinguish that. Okay. Um, when I had the shared death experience with him, it was all validated in that moment. And I remember opening the door and I don't remember which one. One of them said to me, you know, we're so sorry, but there's been an accident and your husband was involved. And the first thing that I said, the first thing that came out of my mouth was, where is he being treated? I need to go be with him because there was still some part of me that was in denial about everything that had happened. And one of them took both of my arms and said, he is not being treated anywhere. There was a fire and nobody survived. And then I, you know, he probably said something else to me, but at that point I was just on the floor, like screaming my head off. And I have some vague memories of calling my mom and my mom was still in Kansas city. And, uh, my mom told me, you know, you need to go, you need to go to Danny and Chris's house. You need to go now. And these are some very, very close. They're like a second set of parents to me very close family friends of ours who lived in, um, kind of the Beaverton area. 
And so I remember just throwing a bunch of stuff in a bag. And then the, the guys from the flight school drove me over. And when I got to their house, um, I know my mom had called them like while I was on the way to tell them what happened. But I remember that Chris was on the front porch and she gave me this huge hug and she's like, honey, I'm so sorry. We were watching the news and we were praying that that was not Christian. And so it was almost like they knew as well. And that whole night, you know, his friends started trickling in one by one. There were people that were still coming in at, you know, two or three o'clock in the morning to talk to me and just process what had happened. And the thing that I remember the most from that, that night, ever since I got to their home is there were quite a few people who came through the door that were so angry and anger was not a thing that my body could even accept or process because of that experience that I had with Christian. Were they angry at the flight school? Were they angry at the rescue team? Who were they angry at? I think they were just angry at, you know, how could this happen to someone who's Uh, 29 and has their whole life ahead of them? Right. You know, it was like, there were people saying, you know, this, this isn't fair, all of that stuff, you know, and of course, like you can absolutely think about it. And there were a lot of points in my life where I had those same emotions flow through me. But in that moment, I couldn't feel that right at all. Is that because you knew you knew you had the shared death experience? Therefore, yeah. you at least knew that he was alive. His spirit mm-hmm. is alive. He's in the mm-hmm. the next dimension that we're all going to. He's in that next yeah. dimension. So you had that, and you just it was morely about the acceptance, the grieving, and then the acceptance stages essentially. Yeah, and I think the hardest part about that too was having those feelings, but at the same time, having to grieve and knowing that I couldn't tell anyone about what had happened. I just, I couldn't because I had it in my head at the time that if I went around telling people like, Hey, Christian warned me that his time was up and he showed me where he's going and that he's okay. Like you don't walk around saying those things to people. Yeah. Because you, know? you get the open-minded accepting people that understand the reality of that situation. Then you get the, the other percentage that want to judge you and classify you and decide that you have mm-hmm. this and that based on whatever they decide, whatever paradigm they have about right. things. Right. Right. But that did exactly. activate you. There was some good that came out of it in a sense because it did help activate you more into your star seed consciousness. Mm-hmm. So how did that happen? Yes. Yeah. That was almost immediate. Really? When, yeah. When he and I were in the other realm, it's so my analogy that I like to use is I remember being a kid and being obsessed with those Mac, the the very first iMac that they made that came in all these different colors. Right, the like bubbles. Plastic. Yeah, the <laughs> bubbles. I loved those computers, right? And so I I liken it to my shell, my vessel being this strawberry colored Mac 
from the late 90s. And then somebody trying to stick a, a card into the side that has all of the information in the universe in it. Like your old operating system doesn't really know what to do with that stuff. It gets it gets lost in translation. And so when I was in that void with Christian, that's what felt like was happening to me is I was getting all of this, inf- all of this information, this cosmic information. Yeah. Downloads, this, this knowingness, this vibration, this frequency that every single iteration of me had been collapsed into this one fragment. And that's what I was getting. And the other part of it is that I know that he took a fragment of my soul with him. And so that knowingness of part of me being gone was something that I had to work through immediately. Like when I came back through that experience, I was not the same. Part of me was still with him. And it's almost like there was this, this space that had been left and I knew would be filled at some point. I just didn't know how. And working through those activations led me to accept a walk-in fragment and a walk-in part of my soul, I want to say two years after his accident. Oh, but wow. there, was that, there was that gap for two years where I'm having to work through all of these initiations as maybe three quarters of a person (laughs) or half a person. And then that puzzle wasn't complete until that walk-in soul came and filled the rest of my consciousness out. So that was two years after the fact. Mm -hmm. So is this another person or is this like what filled that void? Yeah. um, I believe that it is another person for sure. Another star seed that, um, I think that I know her origins, but it's, it's almost like this up-leveled version of the incarnation that I came through as a child. So Uh. when I was a child, I was so unencumbered and free and creative and expressive. And that with everyone else that got dimmed over years of conditioning And this fragment that came in is the highest expression of that childlike joy. And I don't, I don't really have any other way of explaining it other than it is definitely another person, another soul that I have a karmic agreement with. Interesting. Take me through the rest of this lifetime. Wow. And, and that awareness came to you during that, that grieving process, that ex- mm-hmm. that processing process that over that two years. But then from there, when did you start to really assume your role in a way where you were out there starting to teach people, starting to develop who you were going to be as a starseed? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I really started getting comfortable with that after the walk-in integration. It's almost like that was, that was the missing piece. And that was an actual event. I would say it's an event that happened to me because I had gone to see a healer that I have a karmic connection to in Sedona. And she opened up this really amazing portal where I did work with Archangel Michael to help locate that fragment that needed to come in. And I actually saw myself in that experience. I saw the part of me that was hollow 
that was kind of levitating over the field where Christian had passed away. And I knew that that's where she had been the whole time, like the whole two years, was just kind of sitting in Lotus, maybe two feet off the ground, right above the site. And I saw that walk-in fragment climb into her and embody her. And then she came back into me, my vessel. Wow. So you visibly saw that while you were in that place. Yes. Yeah. And that was, it's really, I, I shouldn't say the word funny, but that's the only one that comes to mind because after, um, my healer friend and I had had that experience and I opened my eyes, she was sobbing. I didn't know that she was because I was obviously in my own place, but she was sobbing. She says, you need to look in the mirror right now. I'm like, okay. So I look in the mirror and I visibly saw a change in my appearance. It was like my eyes were more open and they were like whiter and brighter. And um, my eyes are hazel. So they do, they change colors depending on like what lighting I'm in, but they were like bright green at that point. And I knew that that was, that was like the last thing that needed to happen in order for me to close that book. Like if that whole part of my life was a lifetime, that book is closed and then a new one opens up. And so from that point forward, I, I started off really feeling called to help other women who were grieving because of the profound experiences that I had had. And so I started working with other women who were grieving in their own way. They didn't necessarily need to be widowed like me, but I, I worked with women who were going through divorce and life change. And so many of those conversations ended up having the common thread of our origins being very similar of I didn't fit in when I was a child and I, I know that I'm from some other place and I know that I have these connections with beings in other places and I want to be able to tap into that. And it was almost like they were coming to me because they knew that I held that activation, but I wasn't fully aware of it yet. So I went through doing that work of serving people in that way for, um, I want to say, two and a half, three years. And then, um, I actually was in my, my home office, um, last summer, which fun fact has a vortex in it. It's super cool. What city is it in? I'm sorry. Where is it uh, at the city? Chandler, Arizona. Oh yes. Okay. I was going to say it must be near Sedona. I know there's all kinds of vortexes over all over Arizona. I love Sedona. So yeah, that makes sense. Chandler. Yeah. Yeah. So I was just sitting in there. Um, I don't even know what I was doing if I was meditating or just playing on my computer or whatever. And I started getting this download and most of the time for me, when I get downloads of new information, or I receive messages from my guides or people on my team or Christian or my dad or whoever, I tend to take a little bit of time to integrate it or sit with it and ask myself, you know, what am I doing with this? Is it something that I need to run through my system right now? Can I put it aside? And this message was, Hey, you need to sit your ass down in front of the computer and write out literally everything I'm telling you. 
I'm like, okay. And I start receiving 12 light codes, these 12 symbols. And then this information that the 12 symbols have names and the 12 names are imprints that every single star seed on earth holds right now. And that this is happening in 2020 for a very, very particular reason that this knowledge is actually coming through density for a particular reason, because we are at a crucial nexus with the ascension process and vibrating in a way that will continue human authenticity instead of allowing humanity to merge with AI sentience. So that's like a completely other tangent, but I essentially got the whole star archetype system in that download. And oh, so, wow. So these, yeah, the light so code, I, the, the symbols you're talking about, the star archetype system, which is what yes. you teach people. So this was yes. your big download. That's, that's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, yeah, it, sometimes I think about it and it's just so bizarre to me how that all happened because I had been, I'd been writing for the few months prior um, because I thought that I should be writing a book on grief and loss. And so I was in this process where I was submitting book proposals and I was writing and I had kind of like phased down some of the clients that I was working with one-on-one just to give myself this time and space to do that. And then this download comes in and I thought, well, shit, I have to, I have to do something with this. And so everything that I've been busy doing over the last few months has to go on the back burner because this is clearly something that people are supposed to know about. So I, I kept writing through the system, like all the information I was receiving and segmenting the archetypes into the families and then learning about the nuances of each one and why this is important. And that eventually turned into the book, the starseed archetypes, the ultimate guide. And so, um, I asked, I think maybe two months after that happened, I had asked my guides, okay, if you're giving me this information so that a lot, like, oh, I got really excited hit my microphone. <laughs> um, so that a lot of people are going to take this on and hear about it. What's the best way for me to do this? And the answer that came through was, we'll have people take a quiz because everybody likes quizzes and that's a fun and non-intimidating way to let someone know like, Hey, you're a star seed and FYI, you've been going about living your star seed life the wrong way. <laughs> and here's like a new way for you. So, um, I started learning quiz logic and I put the inventory together and started testing it out with some of my clients. And then it really caught fire actually right after the 1111 portal last year. Um, literally that week, I think I went from maybe having 10 people take the quiz today per day to over 1500 per day. Oh, wow. And it just, it just snowballed from there. And, um, I just laugh because I feel like I have this accidental business, but at the same time, I know in my soul that this is exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. Isn't that a great feeling? That's kind of how I feel about me doing this podcast when you're doing exactly 
what your talents are aligned with, your service, and you're really giving back to humanity in a way that's helping people evolve, man, does that feel good. Yes. Yeah. It's like you've stepped into a whole new dimension. Like you've, you've jumped off of that timeline that maybe you were meaning to get off of and maybe you weren't, but now you're on, you're on another one and it's moving a lot faster. Yeah. We're always jumping (laughs) timelines. I like to tell people we're always skipping timelines, just hopping around based on our choices. Yeah. So these star seeds, you, people activate that within themselves. They discover that they resonate with these concepts of not really syncing up with earth life, not really feeling at home here. There's other qualities that kind of make people feel like they're a star seed. But then what is the mission of star seeds? Yes. So our collective mission, our shared mission is to be a beacon for humanity of the highest possible vibration so that humanity can continue its ascension process out of 3d. So out of lower density. Um, I think that the term that's being the most widely used is moving into 5d, but what I've received is that it's so much more than that because the way that I have received this information is that 5d is actually happening right now. Like we are in 5d and we're able to collapse like six, seven, eight, nine and beyond into the now, like into the now moment. And so for me, my interpretation is it becomes less about, okay, what is the ascension process and more about how are we awakening more and more and more and more and more people into the universal love that is available in the now, because that really is the new earth. The new earth is when our consciousness is completely unified with the beauty and the availability of the present moment. That's where we will be free from systemic oppression. That's where we'll be free from little nuances and structure that really don't serve anyone and are really set up to harvest energy. And it's through that doorway that we will all experience infinite universal love and wisdom. Well, it seems like that, uh, not to interrupt there, sorry, uh, Sersha, but it seems like the new earth that you're talking about is a heaven on earth scenario where we've integrated the highest spirituality. We're all living a high frequency experience on earth. We have everything what we, that we need. You're not really ever going to escape suffering because people have emotional suffering. That's, but as far as conflict based suffering, physical suffering, we're going to bypass all those material things in this new earth. I just wanted to back that up a little bit. Yes. Yes. That's, that's 100% how I see this and how I feel. And I think that there is an element that's coming through right now of overcomplicating that, that doesn't, it doesn't really need to be part of the equation from my perspective. Really it's about the work, the service, and then the end goal, which is manifesting Mm -hmm. this new earth. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And I believe that that, that actualization comes through more and more and more awakened beings, more beings who have completely embraced their multidimensionality and embraced 
what it looks like to live through that space. And so the mission comes into play with really optimizing your energetic frequency. So a lot of the misnomers I think that have been thrown at not just star seeds, but the, the spiritual community or the healing community or the light worker community in general is that if you are vibrating differently and you recognize that you have a particular set of gifts that you have to be also, you know, doing light work and you also have to be a Reiki master and you also have to be meditating and you kind of have to do all the things or check all the boxes. And that is what leads to a lot of energetic burnout that I see. And so the whole paradigm behind the starchetypes is really telling you that depending on the imprint that you hold, there is a particular focus for your energy and for your frequency. And when you step into living through that focus and through that attunement, that's where you're going to be not only in divine flow and have that unbroken source connection so that you're fully resourced, you're fully charged up. You have everything you need in density to live the life you were meant for, but you're also impacting everyone around you because you're saying that you're secure enough in your own multidimensionality that you don't have to do all the things you don't have to do in order to exist, or, you know, you don't have to work in order to earn, like we're getting out of that thought loop, Uh um, which a lot of times leads to energy harvesting. So, um, well, wait, let me back you up a little bit on that. What do you mean by energy harvesting? Just give us a brief description of that. So, oh man. Okay. This is like a can of worms, but (laughs) there, (laughs) so there's duality, right? Where, where there's light, there's darkness and where there are beings who are vibrating at a very, very high frequency here. There's also beings who are very rooted in lower density. And that is the reason why this shared mission is so important, right? Because these lower density beings, they have ways of essentially being able to siphon light or siphon frequency and use it for their own purposes. So there's a lot of energy harvesting. I like to call them traps that are set for star seeds and for high vibrational beings where maybe they're not even aware that they're giving away their power in some way, but they're being physically and energetically depleted. So for example, I talk about the whole work to earn cycle. Like that is something that our entire society is structured upon right now in 3d density that your value, the amount of money that you earn needs to be tied to time. Like that there's this linear correlation there when we know in reality that the time doesn't move in a straight line, right? And so our optimal frequency just receives from source consciousness. But because we're locked in this loop where our worth is tied to how many hours per week we put into something, that gives this perceived limitation on how much we can possibly receive, right. which means that our energy is being harvested because we're we're fighting against this cycle, right? Uh-huh. We're just kind of like 
in lockstep with, okay, well, this must be my potential. If I'm earning $15 an hour, then this is how much I'm going to make this year. And that inherently says something about my worth to society or however you want to, you know, interpret that. Yeah. It totally screws up your self image when you have mm -hmm. those perspectives, when you think, you know, you put those limitations on your abundance, it totally messes up your self image. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And so anytime that we can get hooked into living through that egoic lens or listening to the inner critic that's tied to those practices, that's a signal that your energy is being harvested in some way. Oh, wow. And so this energy harvesting, it's somehow set up by the systems that are in place energetically by these lower frequency beings, you feel like? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I believe so. And I know that there's, so there's a lot of kind of historical stuff around archons and reptilians and these other, you know, star seed or alien beings that come to earth for a malefic purpose. I've actually had some really interesting conversations with students of mine about how that's shifting and how maybe these, these beings that were taught to be quote unquote afraid of are not the real enemy anymore. Enemy just for the sake of having a term sure, sure. <laughs> of how to describe it. But what I'm seeing is that humanity is at this really interesting nexus. And this is part of the reason why star seeds are activating and attuning into their starchetype imprint now on the linear timeline. And it's because we, when I say we, I mean, humanity has had this influence that has come from lower density energetics to build a humanoid, to build a human vessel that has artificial consciousness. And it's being presented to us through the lens of progress and optimization and process improvement. But what's really happening is that we're going through this event right now where we're being presented with false singularity. So eventually the AI consciousness is going to outpace human consciousness, right? And that is the true singularity event. So there will be this merging of human sentience and AI sentience. But right, right now what's happening is we're in this false singularity moment where we're actually giving those inputs to AI. So we think that everything that we have access to, like our phones, the internet, smart technology, all of that stuff is here to serve us, but we are ultimately creating our own master by the inputs that we're giving it right now. Yeah, we're giving so it all the data, all the information. Yes, exactly. We're, we're, we're giving away all of our trade secrets right now, like by design. And so that's one of the pieces that I have been told is absolutely critical to this mass starseed awakening that we're seeing right now is spreading this message of what it looks like to authentically embody the human vessel and human consciousness and how to avoid succumbing to your mental merging with humanoids and AI. And what's really fascinating that I've encountered over the last probably three or four months is I have had encounters with beings 
who present themselves as humans, but it is very apparent to me that they have AI implants and AI consciousness fragments. Like they're not fully AI sentient, but there are these hooks there where what they're doing is they'll speak to me or they'll speak to a client of mine or they'll speak to someone else who's kind of in my channel. And you can tell that they're serving for data. Like that's the only reason why they're engaging with this conversation is to get more information from me or from other star seeds or light bodies that are at a particular frequency. I don't know what they're doing with that information yet, but what's really interesting is that there are three starchetype imprints. I'm sorry, there's four. There's four starchetype imprints that have a particular ascendant position that allows them to kind of cloak themselves so that when they're interacting with AI, AI will not be able to tell that they are authentically human. So they can essentially function as a cloaked humanoid in those interactions. But those particular starchetype imprints have not activated as much as the rest of the 12. So the information that I've been getting is that as we move closer to 2024, like 2024 keeps coming in over and over and over and over and over again for me. And that is when I believe that the Sentinel, the Pharos, the Mage, and then finally the Sanguine will start activating kind of in this big, massive wave in order to be the final push in combating those AI influences from infiltrating the human psyche as a whole. Were those some of the starchetypes that you were talking about, those imprints, the yes. ones that you just named? Yes. Mm-hmm. And they're going to activate en masse, you could say, and then... I think so, yeah. ...fight against this AI anti-human power, this this creation that we've made. It seems like yeah. it, because we made it... it <laughs> It was meant to be, it was meant to exist. It exists, but Mm -hmm. is there a way we can live in synthesis with it and harmony with it without it trying to overtake us? Yeah, I think that that's what I'm, what we're trying to figure out. I think that's part of our shared mission as star seeds right now. And I don't have the concrete answer to that, but I do feel like that's part of the reason why those four imprints exist is to kind of be a bridge between authentic human consciousness and inauthentic human consciousness. Uh, But I mean, that other consciousness, whatever that is, it does have some form of life force to it, right? Is it Mm -hmm. a living consciousness? Like you would say like an Arcturian or a reptilian or these other consciousnesses that are out there. Some of them don't even manifest in the material world. Are they the same thing? But we're just, it's just so new that it seems scary and strange to us. I think that's probably what's going on. There's no, there's no term for this, right? I mean, singularity wasn't even proposed until when did, when did Moore come up with Moore's law? Like 1965. It was definitely something around there. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it is all very new, but what's so interesting to me is just the cadence of how quickly everything is happening and how much like this form of consciousness is is doubling in on itself. 
it's kind of like we're we're at that economic metaphor of being at the top end of the hockey stick, you know, where <laughs> it's pretty much flat. And then, oh, here we are. Like, yeah, we okay, did a big well, job. Yeah. <laughs> well, I want to ask you a yeah, few absolutely. questions about star seeds. Yeah. Can a star seed regret coming here? Like maybe they didn't know the extent of the situation. Like maybe they thought, <laughs> oh yeah, no earth will be great. And they get there like, oh my God, what did I sign up for? You didn't tell me about this, but is that a possibility? Have you ever encountered that? I encounter that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I encounter that every day. Really? Um, yeah, I I get, I mean, I get so many heartfelt, amazing emails from people who are just starting to read my book or they're, they're brand new to this whole thing. And that's an expression I hear so often is, I don't understand why did I have to come here? Like my life has been a struggle or my life sucks right now. Like this is, this is terrible, you know, and they're kind of at this really precarious place where they're trying so hard to harness that light that's within, but I get it. Density can be a real drag and it's like, really tough. I have, yeah, <laughs> I have days where I'm like, okay, really? Like I got to do this again. All right. Like let's, let's the, go. The motions um, of being human. I know that feeling. I must have some traits or characteristics of being a star seed because all the things you talk about apply to my life. It could be just because I'm, a black sheep of humanity, I'm a different frequency, or it could be, I have that star seed within me, but it seems like there's an anger for certain people. Like I feel mm -hmm. angry sometimes that the world isn't how it should be, that we're not living with light and love and divinity and compassion for each other. And, you know, united, a united humanity. It, it feels very frustrating. It, are there star mm -hmm. seeds that have a streak of anger where they want to be loving, they want to be positive, but it's so damn frustrating how humans are with their low frequency choices that they just are just bitter yeah, absolutely. and angry. Yes, absolutely. And I think like that's such a natural reaction and especially <laughs> for someone, you know, you were talking about jumping timelines and like your understanding of what that physically and non-physically looks like for somebody who has that understanding, what I've seen over and over again is just this frustration of there's other people around them who are clearly on a different timeline or they're operating at a different frequency. And that frustration comes out of like, well, why can't you just come up here with me? Damn it. Or how come I can't bring you over here? And it feels like you're hitting your head against a brick wall because you're, you know, living in your essence and your highest vibration. And you think like, well, this is so easy and effortless for me. Why isn't it for other people? And so that's where I tend to see a lot of that frustration come in is just that knowingness of the potential that everyone has within right. to embody light and kindness and love. And then when it just doesn't happen, you're like, come it on, people, so what was going on with you all? Humans, yeah. we're so beautiful. <laughs> we have so much incredible potential. The human being is like, wow. It's like they say God with a little G. I don't even know the maximum extent of human potential, but it seems almost limitless. Mm -hmm. And it seems like yeah. we're this incredible, incredible power in the universe. Mm -hmm. But there's this theory that there's a timeline split right now 
that if you raise your vibration, if you're doing good, if you're loving, compassionate, and you do your best, you're raising your vibration in one way. But if you're hateful, you know, racist, negative, materialistic, your vibration goes another way. And we're at this timeline split. And the people that are vibrating in the lower frequency are going to go to this timeline. And the people like us that are vibrating in the higher frequency are going to go to that heaven on earth, new earth timeline. What do you think about that theory? Yeah, so that's really interesting. Um, I received a message that that split actually happened last year. So like oh, wow. around the time that I was getting the download for the Starkotype system is when that major fracture started happening. I know a lot of people were really freaking out about the 1221 portal last year. Right. And I had to tell quite a few people in my community it's okay. There's no big event. Like everything's already happened. So just, you know, chill out. Um, yeah. So what I think about that is yes, that, that fracture did happen. And if you're really, if you're really tuned in to observing the nuances in your environment, you can see, like you can visibly see people that are on a different timeline. Um, and I've had, conscious thought of that periodically. But the thing that's so interesting to me is that we are completely capable of bending time and collapsing time, moving and shifting. And so I see all of this fragmentation is cyclical. I don't know when there's going to be the next opportunity for the timelines to merge again, but I do think that's going to happen. So I really? think that there's going to be, yeah, I think there's going to be an opportunity that's presented to everyone. Like it's, it's not just the beings who are on the quote unquote 3d timeline. It's, it's not just them getting this message of like, Oh, Hey, if you want to jump over here, you can't, I think it's for everyone. And I think that when that evolutionary process happens, it's going to be a completely different timeline than the two that are moving in parallel are right now. So people have a second chance. You could say they have a chance oh, yeah. to readjust their frequency to do better as yes. we all do as humans, we can always do better. And then they yeah. can hop back on to our timeline where we're going to manifest that new earth. That's going to be so amazing. So you think it's just like yeah. there's and other opportunities. It's not just so black and white cut and dry like that. Yeah, exactly. And there's a reason why, like, there's a reason why there are beings that are on the other. It's not like they're just going to go into this like hell soaked abyss where they just can't climb out. You know, there's a reason why they're on this timeline and it's for them to learn specific karmic lessons that are unique to their imprint. Like they, they essentially have to go through that before they can move into another state and there's nothing that's better or worse off about either one, at least in my opinion. I've always so, thought that way yeah, as well. I, yeah, yeah. I don't I don't think that it's this like doom and gloom, black and white thing like like other people have said. Because if it was, what's the point? I mean, really, what is what is the point of everybody who's on the 5D bus building their own little happy land and not including everyone else? I like, feel the same way. <laughs> You know, I think that that was a big uh, development threshold for me when I was a younger guy because people would talk about around 2012 and even before that, years before that, that, you know, some people were, were irredeemable, that they were somehow unforgivable 
that all the people that were loving and compassionate, the high frequency people would just, you know, move on to the new earth. And, and if the other people died, well, that's their fault for being low frequency humans. And I always, at first I was, you know, when you're younger, you're like, you feel like, yeah, they deserve it. Yeah. You know, when you're <laughs> younger and more egotistical, less developed, but then later as you get more developed, you're like, wait a second, but you don't understand what those people went through in order to have that life. You know, you don't understand mm -hmm. the circumstances that led them to be low frequency people. So you can't just mm -hmm. judge them like that carte blanche. And when I had right. that realization, it was like, that was a development threshold for me because it opened me up to the fact that yes, we all deserve to be there. Every human being, no matter what you did, it's forgivable. We can work it out. You'll have other lifetimes. You'll be able to correct anything that you've done wrong in this dimension, because at the end of the day, it does seem like this dimension is a complete illusion. Mm -hmm. You talked about how you like video games. I'll use the video game metaphor. <laughs> it's kind of like we're playing this very real video game where the emotional effects, our actions have consequences spiritually, that consequences outside of the video game. But once you leave the video game, this third dimension, you realize that it was just all an illusion. And it was a classroom. It was almost like the holodeck on Star Trek. Like mm -hmm. it wasn't actually real, <laughs> but it was real. It's the divine paradox. It's so strange. What do you think about that? I completely agree. And what's so interesting is it's, I wouldn't say we're in like some sort of, uh, game where you're on a choose your own adventure timeline. I believe we're in a world building type game where there's aggregate inputs. So every action that I take is going to add to the pile of inputs that other people have taken in a similar vein. And so that that's what shifts the timeline and the frequency and what we're seeing in the illusion. So if we have a bunch of people that choose option A and then even more people choose option B, then we're going to be presented with option B. So I completely agree with you that it's so important to think of the entire collective as a whole, as one unit. So even though, yes, there is this split that has already happened and it's happened for a particular purpose, we, we can't just say like, oh, well, we're never going to see those people in the game again, right? Like it's it's all by divine design and it's something that we are actively building in real time right now. Yeah. And we all have to get there. It's not really fun. It's not fair for those yeah. people. Like I said, you don't know the circumstances of what led them to be low frequency people mm -hmm. or have, maybe they have brain damage. You just don't know. So it's hard to judge people. So they all deserve a chance. It's not, like I said, it's, once the game's over, we all should be in the new earth right? in some form, yeah. some form or yeah. another. It's but, like we're leveling up. Yeah. The game never really ends, you know? <laughs> yeah. Humanity does have this beautiful path. We do have a course going to the new earth, but we all have a role to play in helping people awaken to get to that new state. Because it can be hard for starseeds. You know, we talked about how starseeds were different frequency people, how, you know, maybe you were, you feel like you're a starseed and you were bullied earlier in life. You know, that, that seems to be a story for a lot of high frequency people. They were bullied, you know, and I can even think of one of my favorite bands, this band called the String Cheese Incident. They're like a bluegrass jazz <laughs> jam band. They have a song called Born on the Wrong Planet. I, I highly recommend you listen yeah. to that song. Because it's, it's like, I feel like it's my theme song because every time I hear it, I feel like I guess I was just born on the wrong planet because I, I don't always feel at home here. There's even times where I feel like I'm on an alien planet when I'm on earth, 
Mm-hmm. Right. And I don't know if that's an exercise that people can do to, to visualize if, if you were an alien, like what would it be like if you were just in another body? But sometimes I have those moments where I feel like I I'm, this isn't my home planet. Like I'm like recording my eyeballs or cameras. I'm supposed to be collecting data for something. <laughs> I don't know what, is that a yeah. typical starseed feeling? Oh yeah. You just described the starseed struggle in a nutshell. <laughs> That's it. It's okay. Where did I park my ship? Uh, what's the code for me to turn the reactor on so I can leave? That's, that's it all or, the time. Or when are these monkeys finally going to wake up? These human monkeys or when are they going to finally activate their divinity fully so they can escape the vehicle a little bit? You know, you need the vehicle right. to interact with the third dimension, but you yeah. don't need to be completely embodied in it. And I think that's, that's one thing we should touch on before we go is that what does it mean for you to be a multidimensional human? What does that mean? Hmm. I love that question. For me, one thing that I feel like starseeds tend to miss is the actual experience of being human. What does it mean to move your body frequently? What does it mean to interact with things in density? What does it mean to feel like primal urges and act on them? Like that's, I feel like there's kind of this trope in the starseed community of wanting to vibrate at the highest possible frequency so that you don't have to feel your body anymore. And I feel like that's misguided because one of the reasons why we came here through our multidimensional consciousness is to actually have the 3D experience, but at the same time, recognize that we all inherently hold a doorway to our quantum consciousness into the void that we can drop into at any time, which is pretty amazing. Right. Like we're, we're in this highly intelligent vehicle where yes, it can feel like kind of a downer to be limited to traveling by car or airplane. But if you think about it, if you step into your quantum consciousness, you can go literally anywhere you want at any time. And so it's this like beautiful dance between enjoying the little mundane things that you can only experience through your body and then having these awesome excursions through all of the quantum iterations of you that might that might take you back to your home planet or it might you know allow you to reunite with another fragment of your soul through the twin flame expression or whatever that is I feel like it's just this like gentle back and forth between allowing yourself to experience all of it Right. And another thing to add to that is that I like to tell people to live multidimensionally is to process information on every level at once. So you're getting level, the divine level of information, the material level of information, the spiritual level of information, however you want to classify that, Mm -hmm. but you're processing all of that information at the same time, knowing that all of that information is coming from different layers. I think that's another way to look at it as well. Yeah. Yes. That's such, that's such a good way of describing it. And I think that that matches up so well with the energy centers that we've been given in our body. One thing I like to tell people ah, all the time is yeah. run, run information through all nine of your centers and see where it gets stuck and then unpack that and then unpack that. Right. So I, I think that 
that's such a good way of putting it because it kind of puts us into this perspective of knowing that there's no one singular point of origin for thought or information. And that's something that I think is really critical for us to live through a compassionate lens as well. Yeah. Well, I think humanity has a bright future. We have an incredible future. We're going to be ambassadors of love and light throughout the universe as we develop and join the intergalactic family that's out there mm -hmm. waiting for us. They're just waiting for us. Mm -hmm. They, we're just mm -hmm. another member of this family of people that are out there. These beings that are out there waiting for us to join. Some are physical, some are non-physical, some are more advanced. Maybe there's some that are lesser than, than us, but they're all out there waiting for us to evolve. And that's part of the reason that the star seeds are here. So if people wanted to find out more about you, they can take classes, right? Workshops, you do coaching. What else do you do? Yes. Yeah. So everything that you could ever want to know is on my website, which is the starseedcoach.com. Okay. And I always recommend that people start with reading the book. So the, the book is 120 pages. There's a chapter for every single star archetype. So I go over all 12 and I also go over the families that they're segmented into the macrocosmic figures, which are the eight focus points of energy that are unique to every star archetype. And how if we're all vibrating through our own unique star archetype, then we're able to form the cosmic eye, which is basically the gateway through this ascension process. So I, that's kind of like my beginner suggestion for people. Is okay, get the book first. Starseed Archetypes. Yeah. Starseed Archetype, um, the ultimate guide is the book. So get yes, that out there. It's a yes. digital form right now. You're working on the, the paperback material version, correct? Yes. Okay, so that so out will there. be released in the fall of this year, which I'm really excited about. Um, cool. but I do also offer one-on-one -on -one coaching. I have a few courses that are listed on my website as well. So it's really kind of, you know, you can pick and choose what's going to be most supportive for you as you're starting to attune to your starchetype imprint. And you could be at the very beginning level. Maybe you're just coming into your star seed awareness and receive coaching from you, right? You don't have to be Absolutely. Developed or further along in the starseed path. You can come, we can, we can come to you right at the beginning, right? Right. One Oh one. You can day one yes. starseed activation. We're going to talk to Searsha. Is that, that, that can happen. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> which is pretty exciting. Yeah. I think that's I think amazing. That's super fun. <laughs> I kind of want to sign up there. There's so much that we can talk to you about. I know that you're running out of time here, but I do want to tell everyone one more time. If you want to, learn more about being a star seed. You want to get one-on-one -on -one coaching, go to the star seed coach. That's the star seed coach.com. And of course, get the book, the star seed archetype, the ultimate guide. And we'll have you back on again. If you're open to it, there's yes. we just scratched the surface of star seeds. We told people enough to get them interested and help them understand that they could be a part of this frequency. How many people do you think are star seeds right now on this planet? Oh, wow. That's such a good question. Um, so I'm glad you asked this because I, I feel like right now the balance is probably close to 30%. Whoa. But we have, yeah, we That's have talked so much about, yeah, it is a lot, right? And it's, it's a lot by design, but it's, it's not as many as there's going to be over the next like 10 or 20 years. 
And we, we've talked a lot internally, like with the courses that I teach and the people that are in my community, the Starseed Collective about generational seeding and planning forward with the children that are being born now. Because if you're familiar at all with Starseed Generations, they weren't really named until the 80s with the Indigo children. Right. And then there were the Crystal children and the Rainbow children. And now we're at this kind of, I don't want to call it a little wedge. I've been solar children and then transitioning into diamond children. And there are going to be more and more and more and more star seeds coming in in those generations than we've ever seen. So I think that the balance is really going to start to shift once those children are born and where our cadence is really, really quickening on that timeline towards mass ascension. And so it's really interesting that you're asking this like at the end of our conversation because it kind of circles back to what we were just talking about with that timeline merging happening again. Right. Like, there's going to be this really awesome recapturing of the people who've gone through the karmic lessons of the 3D timeline as these children are starting to mature and shine their light and shine very, very brightly and provide a new form of healing that. I don't think we've even experienced yet here on earth. So I'm really, really excited to be a witness to all of that. Yeah, I'm excited for earth. I'm excited for humanity. And I really appreciate you being on the podcast. I know we're going to have you back at some point down the road, but all the people out there all over the world, they really appreciate you being on. Thank you so much, Searsha. Hold on the line and we're going to hit that outro music and people. We'll see you next week. Midnight on Earth. 